If you were to close your eyes and imagine an educational leader 100% committed to serving students, educators, and her community, you may not have known it, but you're thinking of Diane Starkovich. Her leadership story is pretty awesome, but hearing her talk with Jeff about leadership and the love for her work is inspirational. Enjoy. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. I am Jeff Rose, and I'm excited for today's conversation. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, as many of you know, if you're in the leadership circle, if you're part of kind of this club and this community that we have, then you have the opportunity to watch these videos when we air them, as well as receive the link so that you can kind of engage with our incredible guests as professional development. Some of you are hearing this via our podcast, our publicly available podcast, Leader Chat, and, um, and really appreciate our guests that way. Now, the one thing that's been really interesting for us is that we try not to schedule our Leader Chats out for the year because we look for current trends that we should focus on as it relates to leadership and education. And so what's really interesting is now that we seem to have this, this really incredible flow and this amazing guest list, we get recommendations. So we have people sometimes reach out to us um, asking us whether they asking us whether they could be on the show or we have referrals that happen. Um, I have some colleagues that said that there's somebody you need to talk to. You just you need to talk to this woman. Her name is Dr. Diane Starkovich. And you should, you should hear her. You should engage to see if this is a possible leader chat. And so I do my typical sleuthing and I set up this conversation with Dr. Starkovich. And afterwards I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be a really fun and engaging conversation. In fact, the title of this is Submitting to Your Passion uh, for Education and Servitude with Dr. Diane Sarkovich. Let me tell you about her and then I'm gonna welcome you, Diane, to the screen. So after 43 years, and I said that correctly, after 43 years in education, Dr. Diane Sarkovich retired in July, 2020. So she retired, right? Rightfully so, she retired. Um, following 14 years of service as the superintendent of schools for the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta, in October 2022, she received a call from the Archbishop of Atlanta asking her to return to the Office of Catholic Schools once again as the Superintendent of Schools. Dr. Starkovich serves as the Archbishop, so clearly she accepted the invitation. She currently serves as the Archbishop's representative for Catholic education and is chief spokesman, spokesperson for Catholic education there, she currently serves 23 Catholic schools in the Archdiocese of Atlanta, serving 10,600 students. Dr. Starkovich previously served as an associate superintendent of schools for the Diocese of Fort Worth and also has 15 years experience as principal in Catholic schools in Texas and Colorado, as well as eight years of teaching experience in Minnesota schools and much, much more. And I'm just not going to continue to read her bio. I'm actually just going to invite Diane to the screen and so we can kind of dig in. So Diane, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're joining us. How are you doing today? Morning, Jeff. I'm fine. And, and thank you for this opportunity and privilege. It's no, don't thank me. We thank you. Well, uh, you know, our 
our, our goal is to find leaders doing great things that have incredible content that helps serve others by having this kind of conversation. So we thank you. And I, I read your bio. I missed a bunch. I mean, I, 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 I could have read several pages. I've done more research on you than you have on me. But how about you just kind of fill in the blanks a little bit so that our audience gets to know you a little bit. You know, what did I miss will be important to bring out. And maybe just tell us about you, your, your why, your motivation. What, what kind of keeps you ticking? Well, thank you. I, I think you got the uh, the bio pretty accurate. Spent some time in, in public schools in Minnesota where I grew up. Um, my husband and I are high school sweethearts. Uh, went to college together. We got married when he was finishing his first year of law school. And uh, we transferred to several states. You picked up Texas, Colorado, back to Texas and, and here. Uh, and during that time, uh, I was able to finish my master's at Texas Christian University. And when we returned to Georgia, um, I was in the doctoral program at Catholic University of America in Washington, DC. My uh, doctoral degree is in Catholic educational leadership and policy studies. And my dissertation was uh, centered on continuous improvement efforts uh, for Catholic schools in the uh, state of Texas, both elementary and secondary. Uh, I was privileged to serve for 14 years as the superintendent of schools, um, probably the best position I've ever had in my life. Loved Georgia, loved moving here. We have incredible schools, incredible leaders, and uh, wonderful people to work with. Our central office is called a chancery. It was then Archbishop Wilton Gregory that hired me, who's now the Cardinal in Washington, D.C., and Archbishop Hartmeyer, who was the Bishop in Savannah, and previously one of our priests um, who now serves in that role here in the Archdiocese. Um, my husband and I have been married almost 50 years. We have uh, one son and daughter-in-law that live in uh, the United Kingdom in, in London. So I have to ask this, and I, I know I'm gonna, you've heard the joke, I have to assume. There's a Godfather movie, I think it's Godfather 3, where Al Pacino has this scene where um, of course, he's, he's trying to get out of this, this life of crime. And he said, as, as soon as I get out, I can't, I can't do an imitation because I'm not good at it. But the, he, as soon as I, as soon as I, I'm almost out, they, they pull me back in. And so that, I thought that part of your story was very intriguing, right? You, you retired and then you get this famous phone call and, uh, for some reason, either there's a very persuasive gentleman on the other end, or you know, you had this yearning to dive back into service. Maybe tell us tell us about that narrative because I think that that is fascinating and and inspiring in in so many ways. Well, I I don't believe I truly ever left education during the little over two years that I was retired. I was serving on virtual accreditation teams uh, during the pandemic for Catholic schools across this country. And I was consulting with um, some Catholic organizations on their accreditation model. Um, believe it or not, I love to read research. So I read research, I try to stay current with trends uh, in Catholic education. The best thing about retirement was not setting the alarm every morning. And that's probably been the hardest thing coming back was getting used to that alarm going off every day. but. I have a passion for education, but in particular, I have a passion for Catholic schools. Our son is a product of pre-K all the way through college, Catholic schools. 
And if there's anything I can do to give back, give back to those wonderful teachers and principals and administrators he had um, in any way of service to the schools throughout my career, I've, I've been pleased to do it. We have some of the best principals you'll ever meet in our Atlanta Catholic schools. And it wasn't a hard sell to ask me to come back and assist for, for another year, year and a half uh, um, until we make it through our next uh, Cogni accreditation visit. But what's what's fascinating about this is um, when you left, right, 2020, correct? Yes. Um, there's, there's, there's a few things going on then. Um, yes. And then a few things were happened between 20 and 2022. Actually, yes. the most challenging time in probably the history of us actually studying schools and the data, you know, speaks for itself. I mean, there's just... And we're still right in this incredible time of challenge and opportunity education. So it wasn't just so much that you came back. It's that you said, yes, I'll come back kind of during post-COVID times. That is what's fascinating to me and so inspiring about your motivation is you had the opportunity because you were keeping your hand in education, as you described. So you knew what was going on. And then you got this phone call and said, yeah, I know things are really messy. I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll dive into that. So I think that's what's amazing is you dove into something that is really, really kind of just, you know, been turned on its head, if that makes any sense. So I'm curious about that. You know, it's probably the worst, as you said, time in education uh, across the world. And we're still feeling some of the the pain and and the um, loss uh, of academic, social, emotional growth, all those things that we know have been identified. But I have to go back to March of 2020. It was St. Patrick's Day, I believe, that Governor Kemp issued the order for all schools to close. So we closed our schools like, like everyone else did, but immediate went into plans for remote asynchronous uh, teaching and our schools were back up in two to three days, and we were remote teaching to our students as low as, as kindergarten uh, starting the following week. Uh, but before I left at the end of June, we had put together a COVID committee, and it was uh, two of our outstanding principals, uh, two doctors that happened to serve as our parents in, in two of our schools, and at that time, our preschool director as well. So we had a COVID committee in place planning for how to open schools up, when we would be able to do that, and what would it look like? So in the fall, in August of 2020, yes, I was enjoying retirement, but every Catholic school in the, in the diocese of Arch, at, the, at the Archdiocese of Atlanta reopened. Some of our students remained home, so we were having the challenge here of pivoting cameras and instruction and and the view of the camera in the home and sometimes the other brothers and sisters running in the background. But but we were teaching. We opened and we stayed open, had some COVID cases, had to lock down a few places for a week at a time. But our parents were so cooperative, so thrilled to have their children back in school. And this committee and the new superintendent really took us through a very challenging time. Um, <clears throat> we're just coming out of it. We've taken a deep dive into everything that happened since that fall of, of 2020. We did see a drop in our scores, academic scores, our assessment of our religious education as well. Wasn't as big as we thought it was going to be, but it was a drop. 
The school year 21, 22 saw those scores coming back up. The school year 2023 is where we are right now. We're almost at the point we were. In some of our grades, we have made it up and have shown the continuous improvement, the growth scores that we expect to see every year. So it was a challenge for everyone here. Uh, I lived through it on the news, uh, lived through it, uh, spending a lot of time in Minnesota with my, my mother, as you know. Um, but uh, across this country, every, every educational institution, colleges, high schools, elementary schools, preschools, daycare, uh, businesses, uh, as well as hospitals we're all dealing with, was really a crisis. And it, it, it takes more than a community to solve that. And um, I hope and pray that uh, it's, it's not going to happen again. But if it does, one thing the pandemic did bring us into was um, remote education and teaching children remotely. We know it's not the same. We know it particularly impacted our, our younger students, those kindergarten, first, second graders who watched teachers wearing masks and couldn't see how they formed the letter sounds or the vowels and blended them all together uh, into words. Um, we also noticed uh, some social emotional growth issues. I think that still linger today. I was visiting a school yesterday and uh, I went to visit the eighth graders. They were in fifth grade when I was here last. And just the comments from them, um, the teachers and the principal about the things the school, th this class didn't experience. Uh, and it made me think about our seniors that year in 2020, the graduation uh, events were not what they had hoped and planned, uh, carried a little bit over into the graduating class of 21. Um, so we've been through a lot. Uh, I think uh, working together, counting on everyone doing what had to be done, being flexible, having plan B and C and D and E on any given day uh, really, really took the schools through it here. Our teachers worked harder than they've ever worked before. Children in the classroom, asynchronous teaching, questions from parents. Um, we, we have a great curriculum. You'll hear me talking about that, but delivering it um, via computers and over the internet, as you know, is so different. And I don't believe as effective as that face-to-face -face instruction. Uh, so it's it's been a challenge, Jeff, but uh, I think we weathered the storm, if I can say we weathered it, um, and we're almost out of it. And, and uh, I just look for better days ahead. Well, there's several themes of what you just mentioned that, that we're gonna unpack here in a minute. One of them, that I, I kind of want to go back to you. You made this comment about you know really loving um, the the Catholics or schools you serve. Um, when I was a when I was in the Beaverton School District in Portland, Oregon, as a superintendent, I remember going through an activity with my principals that and asked them to to close their eyes and think of their school. I asked them to think about the way it smelled, the way it sounded, the way it looked. And you know all of the senses that they feel when they're there. Um, uh, when I had them open their eyes, uh, I let them know that 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 wasn't their school, that that was our school, and that there's a whole world going on beyond this this life that leaders take on, which is serving this very specific environment of their school and their community. The dilemma sometimes for leaders is seeing beyond that school 
an understanding that, you know, there's a whole world of education happening beyond those walls. And how do we um, make sure that we're paying attention to, of course, our environment is our priority, but also the world of education um, in the meantime? Well, What's interesting over the, that I've learned over the past number of years is the similarities between schools as compared to the differences. So sometimes there's an assumption that public schools are one thing, private are another, charter are another. And there are nuances that are really important that we pay attention to and honor. But in the meantime, I don't know if leaders are understand that there are incredible commonalities amongst schools and systems of schools. And if somebody were to have heard the 90% of your previous answer, they wouldn't have been able to have, they wouldn't be able to tell, ah, oh, she serves Catholic schools. Oh, oh, or she. So what do you see as these interesting commonalities between just serving schools and communities as it relates to, you know, in your world of serving Catholic schools, Maybe what you would assume is maybe very similar in serving, say, public or charter, et cetera. Well, you know, we all have that common mission. We've we've taken on that mission of, of educating children uh, from whatever grade levels we have in our building, uh, in all of our buildings. I, I don't see uh, private schools, uh, public schools or charter schools as our competition. Um, we're Catholic schools. We're we're here and we exist primarily to teach the faith to our children. But that's the first fruit of a Catholic education is we pass on our faith uh, to the children. And we do that in a manner that's, that's true to the teachings of our church. But that second fruit has to be <clears throat> outstanding academics. And, and, and that's what we pride ourselves on for hundreds of years of history in our Catholic schools. We have a common mission. We want to improve children. We want to uh, increase academic uh, sustainability, growth from year to year, so that when they leave us from elementary to high school to college, they're prepared for careers. Um, but more importantly, I have to add in our Catholic school system, we prepare them from one grade to the next. Uh, we prepare them for college, uh, but we also want to make sure that they're heaven ready as well. So at the end of, of their lifespan, that they're welcomed home to, uh, to our Father. Um, but all of us also have that responsibility. We assume the responsibility and the accountability that goes with it. When we say, yes, we're going to educate children, we're uh, training, educating, and, and trying to form future citizens of this country, uh, citizens that will be active and engaged and productive in society to make not only their local community, their state, uh, the national, and the international effect uh, that we have uh, on this world as, as students, no matter what school you attended, uh, prepared to make a difference. Uh, and one person can make a difference, more make a bigger difference. So I think we've all accepted that common mission and accountability to do the best we can to make it better for students and make sure they just receive the best education they, they possibly can get no matter where their parents have enrolled them to go to school. When I first talked to you, when I, we, we got off the, the call, um, one thing that I, I worked it into the title of this conversation, and that is, that is servitude. Uh, because 
somehow, some way uh, that that came across. You had the spirit of yearning to serve students and your community, aligned to what you just describe as this really kind of beautiful mission. Now, um, being committed to serving is one thing, but there's also a leadership strategy that's really important. You can't just have a passion for serving. You have to have a strategy, especially as it relates to the infrastructure, the complicated infrastructure that you guide and support. How do you do that, Diane? How do you how do you create a balance of I'm here to serve, but I also am here as a leader, and therefore I need a strategy to moving things forward. How how do you find yourself creating that balance day to day? You know, it goes way back, Jeff. Um, you hire good people uh, to be in the schools, and and I I'll say again, we have excellent principals in all of our schools in the Archdiocese of Atlanta, but that's just not good enough. You've got to go beyond hiring the right people. Um, We set a vision and we set a mission that reflects the Archbishop's desires for how he wants his schools to be run. And there's a phrase in the Catholic Church called servant leadership. Uh, And I don't know that I'd apply it totally to the Office of Catholic Schools, but we're here to serve. We, um, when I was visiting the classrooms this week, Um, I asked a second grader, what does the superintendent do? And (laughs) some of the um, responses I got were interesting. Um, But one of them said, you're here to help the principal. And I said, yes, and thank you for for phrasing it that way. Just like your principal helps every teacher in this building to be successful, the job of the superintendent is to help every principal to be successful. I think I look at things through, you know, we try to be the best version of ourselves. I I try to be the best version of myself that I can be. Uh, My morning prayer includes um, a request, a prayer for the knowledge to do this job the right way, the acceptable way, the the way God wants me to do it, but then the courage to administrate it. So it's the knowledge and the courage. It has to be a cooperative style with, uh, and, and a very engaging style with principals who, who are the practitioners. They see day to day what's happening in the school with the children, with the parents, with the larger community, our parishioners, our, our churches. Um, and there's always that issue of compliance. Schools have rules they have to follow. So, you know, the compliance part of it just has to be woven in. But I would contend that most principals want the rules they, they want to know what's what's expected. And then we give them the local freedom to implement those rules. I sometimes refer to our school as franchises. You have a franchise of a, of a Catholic school, and here's the book. The book is a policy manual. Mm-hmm. And this is the intended outcome. How you get to that outcome is up to you, your administrative team, your advisory councils, your teachers, everyone in, who's an important stakeholder in your community. So that all has to be working together to to receive the kind of education we desire for children. And it doesn't work every day. We're we're humans, we're people. When I was a principal and, you know, we had sometimes parents who wouldn't agree. And I said, you know, that's okay. There are three people in my house on any given day. The three of us (laughs) don't agree. I have 500 people in the school. Uh, Plus, you know, 300 parents on any given day. We're not going to agree. And that's okay. Let's agree to disagree. 
let's have a dialogue about it and see how we can address it. So I'm talking about a collaborative leadership style, but ultimately we represent the Archbishop and we always guide our decisions on what's best for children and what the Archbishop desires in his schools. By the way, we're very fortunate. Our Archbishop was a high school principal for many years, as was our, is one of our auxiliary bishops. He happened to be the principal of Marist High School here in Atlanta for many years. Um, education and Catholic schools aren't necessarily better than any other institution. We're just different. And that difference helps us guide everyone. Um, and you have to enjoy it. If you don't have joy in what we're doing, um, then I sometimes suggest we, we seek a different career path or a different opportunity to serve. Um, and as you described the differences ex extremely well, um, there are also these interesting similarities that people are pulling, pulling away from just hearing you, Diane, I, I promise. Um, and one thing, um, you mentioned that I, I'm glad you brought up is like this this power of, of say the principal. So you've served as a principal before. Um, I have as well, and I I often yearn for those days of when I served as a principal because what's interesting about that position is you actually lead by leveraging relationships in a very different degree, right? You. You know the students, you know their names, you know the families, you clearly know intimately the teachers that you're, that you're serving with. You're, you're right there on the front line and your, your fingerprints are on everything if you're doing it well. I mean, there's a very different strategy and style to serving as a principal as it sometimes is in, say, quote, the central office, right? Because you have to look at systems more so than you would relationships. So, but in the meantime, um, we're seeing in the field of education this mass exodus um, from people leaving the profession and not just teachers. And I know teachers is really something we need to focus on. And we've actually done a lot of leader chats on that. But leaders leaving the profession from principals all the way up through your position as a superintendent. So maybe you could talk to us about how, um, what, what you're seeing, what you're grappling with, what your strategy is to truly kind of love and support the principals so that they, of course, do great work, but also because we want them to embrace their role and stay with us. You know, Jeff, I'm gonna go back to when I left the principal's chair and went into the central office um, to find ways to get that kid fix. So when I was principal, it was pre-K. I'd go sit in pre-K no matter how bad the day was. 30 minutes later, I'd feel pretty good about myself and, and the decisions I had to make that day. Um, <clears throat> I think, again, it's about finding the joy in what we do and supporting principals when they know you're supporting them. I, I think they'll tackle just about any, any situation that comes in front of them, but not just support from this office. Uh, it's the colleagues. It's the cohorts of principals that are there. And I, I've never worked with a group of principals so willing to help one another, communicate with one another and, and exchange strategies. I still do that today. Uh, the superintendent's job is, as you know, you've lived it, can be very lonely. You're the only superintendent. Uh, I have some associate superintendents, but I have wonderful cohorts and colleagues across this country that, that we Zoom or email and, and we get support from one another supporting principals and making sure they're successful and helping them through challenges doesn't always guarantee 
tenure, um, but it, it sure goes a long way in, in getting them excited about being successful and being able to measure success in, in many, many different ways in their schools. Um, we've adopted an attitude of grow our own. So we identify teachers in our schools who would serve, we believe, as, as good administrators. So we put them through a principal formation program and we have an agreement um, with one of our Catholic universities um, in another state uh, where they take those um, graduates of our program, give them some credit, college credit, and um, take them on to get a certificate or actual a master's degree in educational leadership. So it's growing our own people. We currently have, I believe it's four, it may be five, of our principals are products of our principal formation program. Um, we have this uh, abnormal, unusual, long-serving group of principals, um, 15, 17, 20, 22 years, and, and some of them are retiring at 20, 22, 25, almost 30 years in their positions. Wow. So I believe it's, it's supporting them. I also believe many of them, like I believe, we're doing an important mission for the church. This is part of a vocation that we've said yes to. It's not just a career, it's a vocation with us. We experienced loss of teachers last year. When I got here in late October, we had a large turnover in our elementary teachers, 24%. We think about that, one of every four teachers was, was leaving us. Sure, it was um, retirements and somewhere having their children, babies, and staying home. We lost some um, uh, to higher paying uh, public and private schools around us. So one of the first things we just did with the assistance of our advisory council at the, at the diocesan level and with um, the support of the principals is we just did a huge increase to our, our teacher pay uh, salary. But we also put in a 50% reduction in tuition for anyone who has their children in our schools which by itself it is a large raise. We're going to track the stats uh, on teacher attrition much more closely than we have in the past. We've always tracked our student attrition rates. Uh, they generally average from a low of two to a high of five or 6%. I think the national average of attrition for private schools, and we're parochial, so we're a little different than private, is, is somewhere between 10 and 11% attrition. So you've got so many balls in the air every day. You're juggling so yeah. many things. And then you're worried about, you know, because where does our revenue come from? It comes from paying parents for the tuition. So you have to watch the number of students we have. Uh, and we've got to have outstanding teachers in our schools. We don't get the educational results we get, not only with those great principals, but we've got outstanding teachers. I may have mentioned to you that 75% of our schools are Blue Ribbon Schools of Excellence which means they test in the top 10 to 15% in the country. That happens mainly from what's occurring in the classrooms. And so it speaks to the success of our, of our teachers, the partnership with our parents. Um, we're not able to serve you know, all, all populations of students. We certainly have mild and moderate disabilities. And the one thing that we are different is we don't have the full resources for full special education. However, we have students that have Down syndrome, small number. We have autism children, mild to moderate learning disabilities, and we do a pretty good job uh, with those students. And again, it's the parent choice to place their child where they believe. So I don't think there's an easy formula. I used to teach math. And if there was an algorithm for this, 
or a formula. Somebody would have created it and made millions of dollars, Jeff, and we wouldn't be talking about this. But how do we prevent burnout? There's also that balance of your family and your life style with work. And I find that that's where most of us are challenged because uh, we know the job. We'll give everything in our body to, to make it successful. But we also have to pay attention to our own health, our own mental wellness, our families. We owe it to our, our spouses if we're fortunate enough to be married and, and the children God has given us. So uh, the balance of life is, is also difficult. But spring break is on its way and people <laughs> are looking forward to that. And in, in June, school will end and we'll have a couple of months of summer break. The teachers don't stop, as you know they're working and preparing for the following year. And if they're not supported, we're, we're not going to get the end results that, that we get. And again, most of us are in Catholic schools because we, we believe this is part of the vocation we accept as Catholic educators. Well, clearly this is, this is not a job for you. Uh, and, and nor would it, uh, nor is it for all those you're serving with or else you wouldn't have some of the, even the, the data points you mentioned specific to um, even your, the, your, how your families and kids value. I mean, your attrition rate is, as you know, outstanding in comparison. Um, I think that those are incredible, incredible data points to really kind of rest your hat on to, to, to show yourselves that people are valuing what you're supporting them with. Now, when we talked um, uh, offline before this, I was also really struck by um, your passion for even the opportunities coming amidst this challenging time we're in. So we heard you say um, earlier about how quickly and efficiently you stood up a system to support students when they were home due to, uh, the, due to COVID. We also, um, to do that, you had to have some innovative pieces already in place. Looking into the future, you also said that, look, we, we want kids face-to-face -face with, our, with our teachers. That's most important. But there are going to be some interesting opportunities as it relates to infusing technology and how we embrace some of those things as opposed to shun them because as uncomfortable as they may be for us as older teachers or leaders, etc., um, there are um, there are some kind of new tools on their way. So how do, how do you embrace um, a future that maybe even be hard to um, imagine? I just don't know what to predict, Jeff. What What is education? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Four or five years from now, technology is the greatest gift we've received over the years, but it's also the greatest challenge because that opportunity to be on the internet and, and exploring things that sometimes students should be exploring and participating in, um, you know, the cyber threats that are out there or bullying, cyber bullying is, has become an increasingly uh, concerning issue. Um, and that leads to other issues with mental health and mental wellness and quite frankly, suicide across across this country. I, I do believe, you know, even as a doctoral student, I had to take uh, one or two classes online. Uh, and I believe today college students are taking classes online much more than they did. I'm, I'm older than you are, but when both of us were in college. So we do have our students participating with online classes in high school in a much more controlled environment. But technology is a tool to help us work smarter, uh, not harder. And um, we were blessed that we had several schools already capable of going immediately remote the second day when they were off. Uh, snow, uh, ice jam, snowmageddon, whatever we experienced. And 
in uh, 2014. And, and those uh, people in those schools are, are tech coordinators, are, are technologists, are, are directors of IT, work together to make sure we had a sustainable environment. But we started hearing from parents that there's too much screen time. And you know, there's some research out there on screen time, especially with younger children and how much time they spend on it. So we have a, a good approach to it. It's cautious in that we infuse technology whenever we can. I have to put a little plug in here. Every lesson also has a religious component. So we infuse religion into, into our curriculum. But we do know, particularly with our younger students, that that face-to-face, hands-on, active participation and I'd say even through high school, through 12th grade, active participation, researching, sharing, analyzing, synthesizing, all the good tools that are there uh, have to be implemented in an appropriate manner to keep our children safe and, and safe from what's happening out in the world uh, without putting blinders on them as well as to the opportunities that might be available. Uh, we are researching and we are ready to put into one of our schools a cyber certificate, cybersecurity certificate. At the end of four years, they'll sit for a cybersecurity exam and they will be, we believe, cybersecurity uh, certificate qualified. Now, yep, the entry level job this year is somewhere between 75 and 90,000, but we want them to go beyond that and get that college degree because that entry level job doubles at that point, the salary. But I think more importantly, it's teaching children perseverance. It's teaching them what you and I used to call grit. Mm -hmm. When you come up against a problem, um, how do you solve that? Do you walk away and say, can't do it? Or do you find different avenues and different approaches? And I think in that way, technology has helped us. But education also must be collaborative. Students must work together. They must share. They must discuss. We learn more when we do that that old saying that you learn when you do much more than you learn when you're told. Um, so it's a challenge. And I, I wish I could say what I knew education would be like um, five, 10 years from now. Uh, will it be 50% remote? Will we be on campus? My hope is, my prayer is that, that we keep that daily contact to, with the younger children in particular. And I would contend our middle and high school students need that as well. This, this next question seems like an interesting kind of pivot. Um, because it, it maybe doesn't relate to anything we've talked about, but I do know that it relates to you as a leader. You mentioned to me that um, you're an introvert. And the, the reason I want to bring this up, Diane, is that uh, it, it's important. I think sometimes if we close our eyes and imagine a leader, we, we sometimes don't, um, we don't imagine the, the, the real skill sets it takes. And we assume that every leader is comfortable and thrives and actually gets energy from, you know, some of the ongoing engagement and kind of owning every room they walk into and so forth. Now, introverts and extroverts can do that, but there's also a difference and people need to be aware that leaders can have all different attributes and strengths and challenges and Maybe can you just give us a little snapshot on leading, but also knowing and embracing the fact that you are an introvert. And I'm, I'm hoping that's okay to pivot to that question. I just thought that was important. Uh, absolutely. Um, most people who know me, know me from the professional field and they would say, uh, you are very much an extrovert. 
there are times when I have to be the extrovert because of the position I hold. I'm much more comfortable entering a room, entering a conference, entering a principal's meeting and just sitting and listening for a few minutes. I think the introvert part of me uh, listens, um, digests, uh, evaluates, and, and thinks about it to say, I haven't thought about that, something outside what I normally would, would, would be thinking or dreaming. So I don't believe being an introvert is, is a bad thing. I know a lot of very successful leaders who are introverted, but in that position that they're placed when they need to be, and they need to be the public spokesperson or need to come up with, with creative solutions and creative ideas, they, they certainly are an, an extrovert. If you would have asked people who knew me when I was a child, they would say, no way, um, that, that wasn't gonna happen. I was very shy. I grew up with brothers, so I was very much a, a tomboy most of my, my growing years. In, I enjoyed school. I, I just had our 50th class reunion, and uh, a lot of the students didn't remember me. And, and um, it was sort of funny because it was up in northern Minnesota, and um, the southern came out me when they said, we don't remember you. And I said, y'all, I graduated with you. <laughs> I had my, my picture on, and, um, and they said, oh, you know, you were the quiet one. Uh, you were the good student. So high school remembers me of that, college somewhat too, but as a principal, I was very reflective. I think that's the word I'd like to use. I do reflect well, take in opinions, listen, uh, try to get all that good wisdom from all the great people I surround myself with. And then when I have to, to come forth and implement something, I have the confidence to do it that I've done my due diligence. Um, I don't think being either an introvert or an extrovert is a bad thing. I think we complement each other and it has a different skill set that comes with it. Um, and very much I am an introvert. Um, some people know that. Um, whether you believe it or not, I, I am. Well, I will tell you this, that um, I'm, I'm an extrovert. And, um, uh, but however, that being said, um, all of my mentors, like the ones that I've you know, grown to, to, to say as a mentor, have all been introverts. Um, and for some reason, I find myself very drawn and learn so much through a particular kind of learning and communication style um, that is actually not my own. Um, so I find that to be interesting. Now, here's, here's, our, here's our kind of famous last question. And I've taken a lot of your time, so I apologize. But here's, here's, the, here's the last question. Um, most of our systems in the leadership circle are actually not talking at members. Most of our systems are connecting leaders to other leaders. This is the one thing we do that provides really important content. Um, but if you and I were to pretend that we are around a table, um, our theme is circles are better than rows. We stole that quote from my pastor. And the, um, but around this table are principals, superintendents, assistant superintendents, etc. What would what words of wisdom would you want to leave them with? I mean, kind of your final elevator speech. This is what I advise you to think about in this day and age as a leader. What would you want to leave people with? My father-in-law used to tell me that if you find the job you love, it'll never be a job. Uh, you'll never think of it as a job. Um, and I don't think of this as a job. I, I think of it as a privilege. And there are days that can be difficult. So I'd encourage people to find the joy in what they do. Um, find something you're interested in, go for it. Find joy in it. Rely on other people. 
open your, your mind and your heart to the good advice that other people give you. When you said most of your mentors were introverts, many of my mentors were religious sisters. So I had that quiet mentor on the side and a very important component of our life as Catholics is prayer. Prayer is a very important part. As I said to you, I begin every day with that prayer to give me the wisdom and the knowledge and then the courage um, to fulfill it um, at God's will. But count on other people. Find a circle that you can relate to. And we do this job so much better when we consult, we collaborate, and we work with others who experience the unique problems we experience. As I said, you're usually the only superintendent or the only principal in a building. Find a group of people, find that cohort that can give you the strength and can encourage you. And when you make a mistake, they can say to you, what did you learn from it? Ultimately, we have to find the joy because if we don't have the joy and we're not happy in, with what we do, it shows. Um, it starts from a leader and works its way down. And again, there are good days for everybody and there are bad days. But if those bad days are small and the good days so outnumber them, then you're in the right field. Education is not as easy. It can be messy because uh, we have a lot of pressures on it. But find time to balance your life find time to balance work with your family because your family ultimately is your primary responsibility. Now, all of my principals who watch this are going to say, look who's talking. <laughs> um, but um, all of that would be so important. I, I, I go back to the joy. I said to you when we met several weeks ago, I love these schools, uh, I love my job, um, and I hope it shows every day. Diane, when I, I grew up um, in an athletic kind of family. Um, I was a college athlete myself and my dad's a coach. And he said the most important thing to do as an athlete to be good. He said, just become a student of the game. And I, over time, have become a student of the game as it relates to uh, watching and following and learning from other leaders. And so I want to thank you on behalf of, um, of course, us and this show and our, and our leadership circle. But really on other leaders who I guarantee just know and look up to you. Thank you for your work, for your constant modeling, uh, for your faith in what you do, as well as the students you serve. We, um, you are appreciated and valued. Thank you so much. My privilege, Jeff. Thank you very much. It's been a joy. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, I, um, I think it's pretty obvious as to why um, people recommended uh, Dr. Starkovich to me, and I engaged Diane. Um, her, her wisdom and um, lessons and enthusiasm and passion for her work just spill out in not just what she says, but I know how she leads because I know people who know her. And I'm just thankful that I had this opportunity to have that conversation and you had the chance to listen to us. And I, uh, I have to assume that you learned a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, Educators, leaders, be well.